Hello everyone, welcome to the Melting Pot podcast. I'm your host Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is as a result of my hunger for optimizing business performance, scaling up organizations, corporate culture, customer addiction, building high performing teams, along with a few other obsessions along the way. I've spent the last several years working for and with some of the most successful top performing companies in the world. And this podcast is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a high quality business and live a more fulfilling life. If you enjoy the podcast, you can find more information on today's episode and other topics at dominicmonkhouse.com. Today's guest is Simon Bildcliffe. He's the CEO of Webmart. And Webmart sounds like it's a digital business, but actually the business was named and the domain was purchased before, before the dawn of the internet, really. But Simon's on a mission to make print more affordable for everybody. And along the way, if you can get people what they want, you get to do what you want. What does he want? Well, he's, he's built up an amazing business. They've capped the number of people. They share profit share with employees. He's capped his salary. The business is owned by a trust, so he couldn't sell it even if he wanted to. These are just the highlights that you'll hear as, we, as we're talking. The interview I had with him was in his medieval-themed boardroom, suit of armor, fire, stained glass window. We'll talk more about that. Just an amazing company where the way in which you structure it can have an impact on the type of business you become. And so Simon says he's a Marxist capitalist because without capitalism, there's no wealth. And without wealth, there's no redistribution. A fascinating conversation. I'm sure takeaways for everybody. Enjoy. Hello, my name's Simon Bulcliffe. I am Chief Executive of Webmart, a print management business here in Bicester in Barnsley in East Kilbride in London. Okay. And what do you do mainly? I don't mean you, I mean the company. The company, uh, we buy and sell printing and related services. So it's uh, the printing marketplace in the UK is 13 billion pounds. It's huge still. And uh, it's turned around from being a kind of mass market to more personalised. Using all that big data that you've got, we can make bespoke uh, mailing campaigns programmatically and so you can tie in physical print with digital data and so we get consult on that and we develop our own software to procure print better than anyone else in the world okay very good the reason we're speaking is because you and i were both on a panel or both speaking at henry stewart's uh, happy workplace sort of ceo event last year yeah the reason i wanted to interview you on the podcast is because you've done some interesting things with the way in which you've organized the business and i i'm often sitting down with people who are trying to well i don't know before i start why don't you say what you think are the things you might have done differently with the business then we can get into like why and did it work and why did you do it okay i used to work at a company that didn't care about people to be honest and uh, it was all about the financial return and it was pretty dreadful Uh, nice people pretty dreadful environment to work in. So I, I thought when I started my business, and the reason I started it is because I saw the internet coming around the corner and I tried to kind of flag down that this was happening to the company and they said, no, nah, we'll stick with what we did, which was printing high volume magazines, catalogs and stuff. 
And I said, well, I, you know, I was 28 at the time. I said, listen, I've got two young kids. I want to make sure that I've got a big mortgage. I, want to, uh, I need to do something like this. So I, I decided to start at Webmore. But I wanted it to be very different from every company I've worked from before. I wanted it to be people-centric. I wanted it to work around and for people. So I set up and I studied quite a lot of economics and behavioural economics and psychology and realised that if you didn't make a company deliver value to the people who work for it intellectually, emotionally and financially, then they're not going to want to be with you in the long term. And this is before the millennials, you know, this is in 1993, 94. But it just felt right. And I've seen a lot of people not being treated well. Uh, You know, you had to work hard like a Trojan and there was nothing going back in return other than perhaps a bit of money. Um, And I just thought, well, actually, I can't afford to get the best people, brightest people, the people that, you know, I need to get good raw talent. And how do I make my new company, which is a tiny little speck of a company, the best place I can to work in and to park your career and develop yourself as a person? So the ethos from day one has been we are a Marxist capitalist business. We use capitalism to create value intellectually, emotionally and financially. And we use Marxist principles to redistribute that fairly amongst the people that make the value. And it now kind of works pretty well. With, there's 42 of us, there's about 30 million turnover. We've got a very strong balance sheet. We've never borrowed any money and we have a significantly different workplace and it feels different and it attracts really interesting people that work pulled together. just want to catch you on one thing. So you said that was before millennials. Yeah. And so do you think, do you think about the age of any of your employees differently or do you just think if you build a great company, no, it sort of doesn't matter the age of people? No, I think to be honest, the millennials have got it right and we fucked it up. We, you know, we had this ladder to climb. We were all talking about standard of living and, you know, we wanted to, you know, get on a housing ladder. We wanted to get on a career ladder. We, you know, we denued our lives to do this thing. Whereas actually, they've got it right. They want a quality of life. They're not necessarily looking at the acquisition of infinite amount of things because it doesn't really make you happy. So I think in one sense, our model has worked towards the, has been a pre-millennial model that's come of its age. And so it doesn't matter what age the person is that works in here. It's about giving the best quality of life and the best opportunity at whatever stage of life it is that you're, you're at. Because, you know, you don't always want to work all the hours God sends. Some people may want to and some people may not, but we've got to flex and it's a family first policy. You know, if there's any uh, compromise to be made, the family comes first. That goes without saying at any age. This is a facilitator and it's there to enhance your life, not to make it a really stressful. No, it's not to say, you know, it's not a kibbutz where everybody's happy. You know, we're not a Woodstock in 1968. So there are times when it is quite stressful, but if you're pulling together, you cope with it. Things do go wrong. But again, if you're pulling together, then it means that you can actually halve the problem because you've got a great group of people trying to work together. And we've got an eclectic bunch of people. And is, your, is that diversity deliberate or is it sort of accidental? And does it, does it bring, I, do you I perceive act, it yeah. to bring value? It isn't positive discrimination. It just... <laughs> that kind of fucking way it happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, you're not saying, oh, well, we haven't no, got... Who's, we, haven't, yeah, who's, we, we haven't got a 50-year-old. Let's go find Exactly. One. I haven't got a 50-year-old who, who's ambidextrous. You just generally have people 
proactively bringing people who who might fit here. I, what I what I wonder about that is is it is it that you're open to a candidate that other people might not see as in their sweet spot? But so because you've got an open mind, yeah. you pick up great talent on sort of the edge. Yeah, odd. Odd talent, yeah, yeah. misfits. And you go, that's okay, yeah. you can come here. We've got loads of people who are odd in different ways. Totally. but And you odd. fit. Yeah. yeah, bring yourself to work. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want everybody to think with like the name of the rose, the film from the 80s where everybody was, you know, kind of bizarre. But we've got much greater diversity naturally. It's just the way it happens. And actually, it's a great strength. I think you look at things from different points of view. Um, we're not clones of each other, and we're not—you know—we're trying to actually think creatively. It's interesting that people will put forward people to us. I've just been out for lunch before I came here to say thank you to somebody who, who gave a great lead from somebody who we were looking for a role, so we advertise just on our website and on so on our own social media kind of stuff, and people find people for us. And, you know, and that saved me literally 10, 12,000 pounds. Yeah. And just to say thank you for a lunch. Yeah. You, know, and that, you know, they didn't do it for the lunch, obviously, but they just thought that actually this person would really fit here. Yeah, and so they're doing everybody a favour. They're not, they're, not, they're not doing it for a Absolutely. financial reward. No, not, not at all. Yeah. And, you know, so it was nice then to be able to spend a bit of time with her to say thank you and, you know, just have a chat. And there's always unique value comes out of it when you look at it in a slightly creatively tangential way to the, the norm. We have a kind of counterintuitive approach to business. And if you pick up in a sort of an eclectic group of people, do you think, do you think because you have given them a home or a chance or a choice or and because you say you're family first it breeds loyalty and also if they've got a home here and they're happy then going and working in a normal business would just be impossible so it must drive down might drive up staff attention yeah it does and also people suggest their mates to come and they tweet and they instagram and they you know it's what we did at work today and and also customers you know in our marketplace customers are typically between 25 and 35 uh, the marketing people. Procurement's older but and supply chain is older. But actually, everybody likes coming here. Yeah. So we have about 1,200 visitors a year to the Yellow Shed of Wonderment. And, well, and it, we, look, we are sitting in your medieval boardroom with a suit of armour, a chandelier, panelled wooden walls, big wooden desk. I'll stick a, pho- I'll stick a photograph <laughs> in the show notes. Oh, and there's a, there's a, there's a fake wood fire in yeah. a stone fireplace in the corner. And, and, a, and a, a, ro- a roller blind that is like a leaded glass. <laughs> and we've got, you know, some of our stuff on the walls digitally printed as Elizabethan warriors. Yes. Um, and it doesn't cost a lot. I mean, but equally, you won't get a consensus. You know, people, when I did this, when I came, on a Friday, they went to it was a normal room. I came back on a Monday and I did a grand unveiling. And they thought I'd gone fucking mad. <laughs> I mean, there's no ifs and buts. You need to have a thick skin. However, now it's just the part of the DNA, and it's a bit like you know, if you look at anything that's different, don't you can't really go on consensus, even though you like to think it's you know everybody's. I've just got to go where you you got. Sometimes it really doesn't work. It's interesting because one of your uh, one of your newer employees did the tour for me, yeah. Flo. And she came in and showed me this room and I said, what, what a spectacular room. She said, it's not the favourite room with the employees, but the customers really like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just that you still, you still haven't won them all over. No, no, absolutely. And that's fine. It, I like it. Every room has a different feel about yeah. it and has a different purpose. 
And it's interesting when I say to customers, which room do you want to go in? Now, you know the kind of meeting you're going to have, depending on what room they choose. Yeah. Psychologically, you know, they've, they've preordained the kind of... So I was just doing a creative meeting in here before. Somebody said, like, I'd like to come in here. And because this is the only room where the door is opaque, so you can't see in it, and the window goes down. So it's quite an intense room. And it's contract, and we were talking strategy and things like that, and it actually works really well. Whereas if in the boardroom, it's kind of open, expressive, discussion-y kind of thing in the aircraft room, it's quite personal. Yeah, you know, intense. It, yeah, it's yeah. quite focused. I mean, I personally like this room because I don't walk around because I like walking when I'm thinking. And secondly, I can block out the rest of the day. You know, so whatever it's raining or sunny outside, whether it's a, so I can just I can be in the zone, and it's pretty good. And it's got the Oliver Cromwell bust behind there as well, which as he got rid of the monarchy, I'm you know I'm a kindred spirit being a Republican. So, uh, um, so look, let's drag you back to the Marxist capitalist thing. Yeah. You've structured your business differently mm. than most entrepreneurs. Uh, in one sense, uh, probably not structured. Maybe so maybe the redistribution piece, the the, yeah. the the sort of the staff bonus and the way in which you think about what your share of the income is of the business. All I wanted to do is, uh, having worked at companies which are heavily leveraged, I decided I would never take debt. Yeah, if I can't afford it, I don't spend it, and therefore it's a bit old school like that. So that meant that we had to reinvest income. So we have a reinvestment income uh, level of £400,000 a year, and that allows us to do whatever we want. It's our money. And you've built up a war chest over time? Yes, £7.3 So it allows us to do plenty of... So we can buy a unit and do whatever we want with it. We've so got, you don't rent the building, you no, own the building? Uh, we've got an oxygen farm in... An oxygen yeah, farm. Yeah, got the Webmart oxygen farm. 166 acres of deciduous mixed wood. Oh, okay, right, yeah. Uh, helping, which, helping the planet. And also giving people a place to take their kids. Got an eco lodge on it. Everyone gets a week free. So it, it gives us flexibility to do nice things like that. Yeah. So they can go and, you know, do that and spend a bit of time. How, how long have you, if you, you, so 40, what did you say the turnover was? About 30 million. 30 million. And how yeah. long have you been in business? Uh, since 1996. So the inf- when you're early days, you can't really innovate that much because you can't any... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like you, you and a couple of people. Uh, it were me, in a, literally in a room where I could hit all four uh, walls if I lay down on the floor. And you gradually, it takes a, a bit of time. But then you have freedom. You don't have anybody instructing you what to do, banks or accountants or anybody. So it gives you a latitude to make mistakes. And anything that's innovative, you know, by definition, you have a high degree of uncertainty of success. Yeah. So you need to be able to not put huge amounts of, you know, or you don't bet the farm in a literal or metaphorical sense, but you do have to do lots of testing and things work out well and some things don't work out so well. And what's your best and worst experiment then over, oh, the, over the years? How long you got? <laughs> I mean, good heavens. There must be some crackers. There you? really are. I mean... And I'm sure when you go into all of these things, you like eyes wide open, you think it's going to be a success and then it turns out to be. Yeah, I mean, some of them have been uh, dreadful failures. And, so, you know, and mainly around people, right, to be honest. You know, you think that this person's going to revolutionise it and they've got undoubted talent. But then either interpersonally, they don't understand people, so you don't get the buy-in. And if you let go and you've got somebody who's incredibly intelligent, but interpersonally doesn't do it it's really destructive so it's the biggest challenges about people biggest opportunities are around data to be honest it's dull as anything but actually if you understand data and data mining i mean we've got a marketplace that is globally i mean i did a speech last weekend in mumbai 
to 23,000 people at the IIT Entrepreneurs Conference. And I'm showing things that nobody's ever seen in the world for a 500-year-old marketplace that's worth over a trillion, that's growing at 15% a year in India. Uh -huh. What were you showing them? What types of things are you talking uh, about? It's basically uh, pricing algorithms for print. Right. So the average range of pricing that print, and bear in mind this is a commodity, you know, you've seen it, everyone knows what it is. The average range of pricing, if you're an expert, is 50% from top to bottom. If you're not an expert, like you don't know what, you, you go to your local printer, the average range of pricing you will get is 200% top to bottom in a B2B marketplace. That's and, and that's quality's the same. Quality's the same, specs the same, everything's the same. Nobody knows the price of print, nobody buys it well. So we, so I'm showing them that as a pricing dynamic and it's blowing their mind because it's like effectively going into a BMW car showroom and that same £25,000 BMW 1 Series is being sold literally sold for £100,000 in the next garage. I mean, it wouldn't happen in the B2C market, but in B2B, which after all is 70% of the global GDP. Yeah, lower volume, lower transparency. It's no transparency. It's based on how well you know the person. But it's not people trying to rip you off. Nobody knows the price of print. And then the specification of even something like a magazine that you could hold in your hand, if you had to describe that as a specification or your life depended on it, you'd die. You don't know what it is. You can look at it, but you can't describe it technically. So we've got a piece of technology that I can take a picture of that and it will give you a price. So you're turning something from a physical world into a digital product and then we're manufacturing it back into the physical. So this industry 4.0, it goes from physical to digital back into the physical world and linking those together. So I would have thought several years ago, in the same way that before it, television was supposed to destroy radio and then Netflix was supposed to destroy TV. And digital, you'd have thought, would destroy print. And here you are saying that print, particularly in India, is growing 15% a year. And also it's different. It's higher value now. It used to be the lowest cost medium and now it's feature rich. It's got your data on it. So it's meaningful to you. And especially if you're young, you never get print. And you get this new media, which is... Tactile. So if in the e-commerce world, we've got this new media, which is printing, because the old media is digital. So it's difficult for us to understand. But, you know, you know, somebody said to me once, I, just, I never thought of it, he said, hands up if you've got a filing cabinet at home. Well, of course, everybody that's over 40, we've got a filing cabinet because we've got physical. Nobody understands, what's a filing cabinet? They've never had paper. So then you put all of the relevant stuff that you can digitally enable to take a picture and it'll, it'll create a link to the internet website, which we can do. All of a sudden it blows people's minds because I know immediately more about you than you could ever possibly know, but in a good way, because it's relevant. It's not spamming you, it's relevant, it's GDPR compliant, you know, tick, 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 tick. Yeah. So there's a huge range of, of things that you can do now that you couldn't before. But to get those opportunities to mash together those technologies, you've got to be trusted. And to be trusted, you've got to have a track record of being trusted and never fuck people over. You know, it's what goes around comes around. So if you have given more over life, the corollary works is that people give you more because mm -hmm. it's the exact opposite of if you do somebody, then they'll get you back. It's the other. If you give more, you get more back. So opportunities- Adam Grant, give and take. And so all I try and do is uh, give 10% of my working week 
away for free to help people. Okay. So that might be like going over to Mumbai to do that speaking. No, I'm not going to get anything back directly for it. Or I'll do a lecture at a university over in the UK, or I'll do mentoring sessions for people who, you know, I'm a member of a number of networks where they can, people can just ask for a bit of advice. You can't have a correlation between what you give and what you get. Otherwise, it's meaningless. Otherwise, it's transaction. Yes. But if there is zero correlation, beyond reasonable doubt, between you're giving something out because you want to help, people will spend a lifetime... And literally a lifetime trying to pay you back. So I'll get things every day from somebody who I gave a bit of help to, not unwittingly. I didn't know they were in the audience or whatever, 15 years ago. And they said, of course, I've got an unusual name, Simon Bilcliffe. I mean, there's two of us in the world. One is me, the other is my cousin who's a plumber in Doncaster. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's two, so they find me through LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. He, people keep sending in those Fortnum's hampers that were meant for you. Yeah, I was going to say, never give me <laughs> But that's the thing. And so I give 10% of my time and you get back a 10 to 1 return. Guaranteed. You just don't know when and who and how. But then all of a sudden people come back and find you people. Oh, I just thought that... And they'll, they'll think about it because they owe you one. And I had somebody to find a... I was looking to expand into America. And somebody came to me and said, Simon, an Englishman in New York... Uh, and said, listen, I found a person that would love your technology. It is, they've never seen anything like it. And they have a billion pounds worth of print-related services that they've ordered on behalf of people. <laughs> I mean, what's the, you Serendipity. Know, it, well, yeah, it's fate in a good way. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I couldn't find this person if, I'm, if I tried. Well, and if you tried to find them, they'd want a cut. Oh, it changes it completely. Yeah, the transaction Absol- involved. Absolutely. So is, is, does your view of giving back filter into the workplace do you do absolutely i think family first thing is is massively important Mm -hmm. there is no compromise if you need to look after old people or young people you know or anything in between um then you've got to do that and we will work around that because otherwise it's it's incredibly stressful and if we give that again you get it back in spades don't you yeah so you so your children early you don't have to take holiday you just Kids are sick. Yeah. Sort it out. Come back when they're better. Just let us know. Yeah. That's all we ask is let let us know so we can plan. And we've got good teams that look after each other and care about each other. So, you know, we know everybody. That's Give and take. Absolutely. And I've always, I've said I'll never employ more than 50 people. So that's one of the things that you've done. You've deliberately set a cap, but you still want to grow. Still want to grow. So we have to be smarter. We have to be, use technology. So I've now just launched, literally yesterday, a new service that can scale globally without us having to be involved. So you, you look at it slightly differently. So that constraint forces innovation. It has to. And then you get towards that. You say, well, if you want to take somebody else on, who you, who's going to go? You know, that's, that's a tough call. So continue professional development, which we need to be better at. And so do the team you have feel that they have to... I was interviewing uh, Nikki from PropellerNet, and, and they've got 60 people. Mm. And so she said that the staff feel like keeping your seat on the bus... Mm gets harder every year. Do you have, do you have the same uh, thing? or is not, it... not so much. Uh, there are people that say, listen, this is far as I want to go, and then you, you rejig. You know, my life choice has changed, in right. which case. And, and we have people that move between roles. Yeah. go quite a lot. So our finance, uh, head of the, the finance team, uh, started off with telesales. And then went in, and we've helped her through, get her qualifications, wanted to go into finance, and fabulous. My sales director now started in IT. 
and you, as you get to know people, you actually say, oh, actually, you'd be better fit in a different role, and then they fly. So you, you flex, and equally, if somebody wants to work, going from full-time to part-time, it works for them and it works for you. It's not always possible. You know, there are times when, you know, my PA who um, wanted to start a business, I wanted her to start a business, went down to West Wales. Spoke to her yesterday. Yeah, we, had a, we had a fantastic yeah. conversation about that, the her entire gym. Yeah. And then and I said, I can't see how it works as a, v, a virtual assistant. And so, I, you know, I've got somebody here who's great, a lovely person, but it wasn't very organised in the same way as, as Lisa. Anyway, it didn't work out. And Lisa said, look, let's give it a go. So I've got Flo, who took you around today, yeah. who can do the kind of the, the face-to-face. The stuff, stuff that needs to be done here. physical. Yeah. And Lisa sorts it out and seamless. So you, you get the right time. And of course, it, for me, it's, it's so easy. She knows the way that we, yeah. we work. And she, as you... Herself, very effective. <laughs> she is. Yeah. Well, and also she rang me up and uh, she said, I just checking you meeting Simon tomorrow. And she said, I could have sent you an email, but I just wanted to ring you up because I thought we you know, we'd have a have a conversation. What are you trying to do? And then we ended up speaking about the do lectures and a whole oh, lot yeah, of yeah. stuff and yeah. her project with, you know, the sort of drink business. Yeah, yeah fantastic. And yeah. then, you know, who else did we know? And lots of <laughs> lots of amazing conversation. And again, completely sort of serendipitous where we would never have had that no, discussion on an email on an email it would have just been are you still coming at three o'clock yes yeah, okay yeah. thanks i'll see you there Absolutely. and it's just uh every touch point needs to be special it doesn't have to be over engineered but i mean like i to i'm a director of barnsley football club now and just to get my id done at the bank which i've not been into a bank for fucking years and i and they said like really and i said well i do have to wear a carnation these days and about and we just had a bit of a laugh that was actually me was just sending and so when we met each other we had a, it was a nice experience every experience can be nice if you just well, make a bit humorous well, so so my experience of coming to visit you so not only did your pa ring me up to have a conversation rather than send me an email but then i did get your welcome email from Flo saying uh, looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. Can you tell me whether you like tea or coffee and how you take it? So and what time are you coming so I can have a cup of tea ready for you? And please park your car at the front of the building next to the red carpet. And then here's the instructions to get in. Yeah. And I'll show you around when you're here. And it, and it was just, oh, takes all the stress out of when I get there, where are you? Um, and, absolutely. And, you know, but it's nice, isn't it? And costs nothing. It's nothing. just a little bit of... A bit of a forethought. Yeah. A bit, bit of a, a, caring, a process. Human. You know, get the process it right. Yeah. You know, so it's a process, but it's human process. Yeah. You know, you're overlaying the personality onto the process. So we know when you come to a place. It's like when we, people come from London, we all say, are you coming on the train? Well, we'll meet you there. You know, tell us what train you get. Oh, we'll come and get you. So we don't have to wait till they get here and they get a taxi and all that kind of stuff. So we'll be sitting here in a little hybrid car and uh, we'll pick you up. It's only five minutes away. But it's the little things in life that are the big things in business these days. Well, you know, somebody comes to visit you, I suspect, and then they go back to their office and they're like, okay, so we've got quotes from a number of people. And then it's like, well, what, how did any of those companies make us feel? Yeah. So assuming that all of the print is about the same yeah. and the price is about so the it's same. It's completely commoditized. And then they go, okay, well, where does the emotion fit in? And you've created some emotion around the business over Absolutely. the top of that. And they go, they just gravitate to that because they go, well, they were nice people and we quite like, and they had a quirky office. And yeah. Wouldn't it be much more fun to go back and sit in the room with a suit of armour than yeah. those dull well, people Well, if people come, come here and have their management team breakouts, say, actually, this is a shed. It's an industrial estate in Bicester. Yeah. There's nothing special about it at all. It's like every other industrial estate ever in the world. 
but with relatively little money because I'm tight as a duck's arse. I'm a northerner. <laughs> I'm from Yorkshire. And so none of this would cost, you know, we haven't got interior designers. We did it ourselves. Well, look, I've been downstairs. You've got quite a good gym. Yeah. You've got a fantastic 1950s style diner yeah. as a staff canteen. And you've got lots of metrics on the wall. Mm-hmm. You've got the lucky wheel. Yeah. Dream maker. Yeah. So yeah. tell me about the dream maker. Well, it was just, I wanted to make, you know, every time we had a, we hit target in a month, I wanted to make it a bit of, bit of theatre. So we made a wheel of fortune. And I wanted it to be so people didn't get taxed on it as a bruisey bonus. So this is a, it's a lucky dip. Right. Oh, because if you do lucky dip, there's no tax. It's, like, it's just a, it's a chance, isn't it? Game of chance. Ah, okay, cunning. So, and I, want to, <laughs> and I want them to feel good about it and whatever. So we just do it and it's a bit of theatre. The old price is right. June, June comes on. The person who won it last time spins the wheel and it's like a little carousel wheel. I'm sure there's videos on online of people. I, I've, I've, well, I've taken a quick photograph, so yeah. I'll stick that in the show. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well. And it's just a really nice way of saying thank you. And, you know, whoever wins it, there's an envelope that's lodged in the safe that Oscar brings out. And they, they've got a choice whether they want to reveal what their dream is. And some people are more personal dreams than others, um, <laughs> including augmentations and all so, this kind of so stuff. So hang on a second. You, you, they should say, the idea is they tell you what the dream is. They put it in an envelope at the beginning of the year. Oh, okay, And then it's, right. in the, it's in the safe. Right, okay. And then bring it out and they can say whether they want to make it public. I mean, some of, most of them are really make me mum's kitchen better or, make, you know, buy me granddad a new telly. So, and so, big, then, so then there's, there's that person, they've got their dream and then you give them, what is it? They pay for it and we pay it back up to a thousand quid. Okay. Fab. And it, so if we, if we spank target 12 times a year, it costs me 12 grand. I mean, really? In the scheme of things? It's no, is it? Then you do it for 100 quid. It's the thought that counts. Yes. So that's 1,200 quid a well, year. Well, it's a bit of theatre, isn't it? It, it is, it's and people just... like it. People feel good from somebody just else. Like, yeah. So the other te- teams dial in so they can see. You've got Alzi and East Kilbride can dial in to see it so they can win. And it's, it's just a nice little thing. And I actually had a guy from Harvard doing a bit of a case on us. And uh, he said, does it really make a difference? And I'd recorded one, one Cal actually, wasn't it? And he was going bonkers. He was like, Yes! You know, and he bought a load of Apple gear and stuff. And he was just like, just really nice. I said, yep, I believe it. <laughs> you tell when it things are too... Con- yeah, if they're contrived, they're not authentic. It's meaningless. But if it's what we are, then that's, that's it. Yeah. And it's not what everybody wants to be. But actually, for the people that don't want this, you'll never come here. But actually, people want a bit of difference. Well, there's some, there's some nice team of people around you that you can get on with, even though we're really weird. Odd, unusual, kind of not mainstream. You know, it's we, we're all nice people, and you're not greedy. Okay? We have had greedy people who do it for themselves, and they really don't work out. It. We get more than you could reasonably expect by doing it through others, not from yourself. Yeah. And it's a very different kind of approach to it, and you know we, that's where the Marxist redistribution comes. We we all pull together to create profit. Profit's good. Business is good, and this is where I fall out with some of my left wing colleagues. Is that, you know, I say, well, without business, You've you got can't redistribute give, anything. You've got nothing to give away. Absolutely. There's nothing else in society that creates value than business. Everything else is a redistribution of that. So if you want to get the society that we all want, then make it the best business as you possibly can. Make it as, as creative of an opportunity as you possibly can. Make it as meaningful. Of course, there are people like Mike Ashley and these... You know, Philip Greens of the world, uh, wankers, you know, to be brutally honest, 
who will abuse people, you know, legally or illegally, it's immoral, the way that they approach things. But most businesses aren't like that. 99% of business people are decent people trying to look after their family and the families of people that work for them. So don't, the reason that these people are in papers is because they are the crass, unacceptable face of capitalism. The people that run businesses, look in your local papers. The people that are giving stuff away or helping people, they're everywhere. They, you know, in the local newspaper, the people doing charity stuff and all that. There's a thousandfold more of those than there are of the, these unacceptable people. So business is good. Let's dig into that profit because I, I, you split the profit three ways. Is that yeah. what you do? Yeah. And, have, and you, the staff don't have shares in the business. It's hundred no. percent owned by you. There is one share owned by a trust. Okay. And that trust can't sell that share. Okay, so you don't even own the business. I'm the beneficiary of the trust, okay, but I can't sell it because actually the shares have been redistributed, the profits have been redistributed, so it's got no value. And of course, if you build that into the DNA of the business, what's somebody going to buy? Because the profits are given away. So you just change that, you lose the people. You lose the people, you lose your business. Okay. So it's a kind of a golden share, but in the other way. Yeah. So so you do, it's not share distribution. You do profit share. How we do a profit that, share. And so what's the mechanics of that use? We make profits and then for the first 400,000 of post-tax profits is retained in the business. Okay. So it builds balance sheet and, and in the Maslovian hierarchy of needs, it's security. Mm-hmm. You build everything off that. And then we've got the belonging with the intellectual, emotional and financial to get to the self-realization, kind of the clever bit, you know, all we putting together. Between 400,000 and a million pounds profit, half goes to me, half goes to the team. Above a million pounds profit, 100% of it goes to the team. Okay. So as we grow more and more and more. Okay, so those, so those numbers are fixed. They don't fixed. change over time. They're fixed. Okay. That's it. So then it drives the right behavior. So they're acting. So you've capped your. You've, yeah, there's, there's, there's no. You're not building an equity stake in a business because of the way you've written the no. golden share at the beginning. And you've capped your income at 300,000. It doesn't stop you opening other businesses and driving other income. But from this piece, yeah. you've said this is about building wealth for your employees because yeah. you've capped it at 50 people. Yeah. Wow. And it gives an opportunity then for them to be entrepreneurs within your organization and attract the right kind of behaviors within the organization. Yeah. So how, when, you, when you're recruiting, mm-hmm. have you developed the dark art for finding the people, the next web martyr? Well, usually it's a recommendation from yeah. people who are already rec- web martyrs or work with web martyrs, usually. So there's, there's some sort of personal connection. So, yeah. But do you have a, do you put them through a series of tests? Oh, you, yes. What do you do? What do, you do oh, to right, them? okay. Because this is, this is my, uh, I just think, you know, if I'm standing in front of a room of 100 business people and I said, does anyone in this room have a problem with recruitment? 100 people put their hands up. Yeah. And people, even successful businesses, somehow don't focus the spotlight on it and do it well enough. Mm. And as you found, if you've got a room full of great people who are intellectually and emotionally engaged in the business, yeah. you can't stop them. I sit down with people and they're, they're trying to fix a problem. Then in fact, if they'd fix the people problem, mm. they wouldn't have that problem. You know, a business is a bag of people. You might have a few signature processes, you might have a logo, but actually it's the people. So to be a better business, you have to have the best people you can afford. And so we're really rigorous with the onboarding and management of people at that stage. So the process that we have is that everybody who we think might be good, look at the CV, we do firstly a 10 minute Skype or similar uh, with them, even if they live around the corner. 
two things. One is if they are comfortable doing that, they're comfortable with technology, so that's yeah. good. It's not an interview, it's a chat. Yeah. Say, look, what, what's the kind of role you You can tell within a couple of minutes if they're one of them. Engaged, smiley, all that kind of stuff. If that's okay, then we'll do a psychometric test. So we do psychometric. Um, which, one do you, which one do you... There's which a one free one by on? Tony Robbins. Okay. On the website, which is great, by inner drivers and psychometrics and whatever. Okay. Then we have uh, a team interview, the team that they'll be working with. Three of them sit down and do an interview. If they get through that, then they I'll interview everyone. You know, that's really interesting because I think often the MD or the CEO of a business delegates that interviewing way too early. And it, you just want to keep that quality control. Oh, absolutely. And then, probably a more innovative bit, is that after three months, everybody votes on them anonymously. So three what's months... The, what's the question? Or uh, Three questions. Do you think they've got the capability to do the job? Do you think that they've got the desire to do the job? Do you think they've got the ability to be a long-term web marketer? And there are areas of good things and areas of development. And those are anonymous and everybody votes on that person. If so, get, you get, so you get your three-month probation but from the whole company? The whole company. 360-degree review. Radi- rad- radical six. candor? People don't hold back? Well, it's anonymous. People do the honest thing. And you know very quickly. If they get through that three months... Uh, do they get... Do they, cold or do they just get the feedback and they get the chance to I'll get feedback I mean it depends I mean there's some people that I mean we've had last a day you know we're just like whoa I, you know like, I love transparency and I love the kind of and then all of a sudden they're like oh my god I had one I mean it's going back a few years that literally went to the toilet after the first hour and never came back again you know because once you're into this thing it's like can be it can be a bit scary but then after six months we do the same if they get through that they're on uh, they've got through the probation they've got a full time but then everybody every six months is peer reviewed by the team and the only one that's made public is mine so for the rest of their time at webmark you are reviewed by you the entire you're get, business you're getting your personal development plan written by your peers every six months well certainly your personality appraisal and these are about team ethics, not about your KPIs as your job and your role oh, okay. description. This is just this your is about personality. Your team, this is your, yeah. yeah. It's about you, you, you never, as a person. You never put your cup in the dishwasher. Yeah, well, it's just like, how well do you share? Do you go above and beyond the call of duty? Are you always there for people when they need it? Yeah. You know, even down to how well you take a joke. Yeah. You know, these are the kind of how welcoming you are to new starters and people in the office. Yeah. You know, these are the important things about community. Yeah. You get those kind of things. And that's what, so that's what we quantify. Yeah. And then, as I say, mine's the only one that's made public. Everyone is between the line manager and themselves. So, you know, it goes into personal development plans. You know, it's... Yeah, so the line managers get the opportunity to do some coaching. Absolutely. They shared. And we've just done one in January now. So we've just released it. And there's January and July. Yeah. Was that tap on the door because you were late for beer yeah. o'clock? No, that was, that actually, <laughs> no, it was actually late for a customer that's come, that's oh, come okay. in at, um, at four. But yes, I would normally be in beer o'clock and I have no idea. Do you know who's doing the video this week? They did tell me, but I've forgotten. But oh. they said that's the other thing about the wheel is that that, that selects the person. person. who's going to be doing the video this week. And it's fantastic. I mean, I used to do 10 it. 10-minute update video? Yeah, 10-minute update on, on the business this week. And it, from a different person's perspective, any of the offices. Well, they said you used to do it all, and they said, Simon, you're just well, getting, a bit, on, you're getting a bit same. Yeah, we're not totally right. radical candor. I, I, went, I went on, but people, you know, quite a lot of people were really worried about it. But actually, now it, it isn't that. Oh, well, I could, I, look, I can see how that could be quite daunting. Absolutely. You know, so I was always a bit scared that I thought, 
you know. But then when I was on holiday, people did it. And I just thought, actually, I was watching them when I got back. And I thought, oh, brilliant. So why don't we do it for the leadership team? So we started doing the leadership team to do it, each of about their areas. And then we just thought, well, why don't we do it so that everybody has the opportunity? I mean, obviously, if they're absolutely petrified, we won't make anybody do it. But we haven't had anybody yet. Once, if you like, the, the ice was broken. In some ways, it must be easier for the people who wouldn't want to stand up and speak in public to do a video. Because yes. it's that sort yeah, of... Yeah, it is. It's but not, it's, got not, a, it's, ten, it's 10 minutes, and, and there's, there's, first shot, first time. Right, OK, That's no the, no editing. No editing. Okay. No, first take. Yeah, and, and there must be some sort of competitive pressure to keep the quality up. Well, it's just be your personality. I yeah. mean, we have some fantastic... I mean, Flo did a poem, wrote a poem. Brilliant. About the weeks, okay. oh man! Well, and, I was, and it was, I was asking about how she ended up here. So she did an internship, and then she ended up here full time. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, actually, I saw her first. She was a girl at my daughter's school, and I just she did a presentation. And I just thought, fantastic, brilliant. So I got in touch with the school and said, look, I'd like to get into. Oh, obviously, you've got to be careful with uh, kids and and schools. They offered it, and she came in. And she, brilliant. And same with Richard Boone, who's our sales director. He joined us at 18 after doing a Dragon's Den. Uh-huh. And it was in the, and the idea was okay in front of the telly cameras. So there's Peter Jones there, me, I was on the board. And it's an 18 year old Sprog standing up there and, and pitching his, his idea. I thought, fabulous. So I said, look, I'll, I'll invest in the person. And now he's our sales director. You know, after 12 years of being with us. I was looking at, you've got your long service uh, portraits on the stairs as you come up. He's just dropped into the, the Wall of Fame. Hasn't yeah, he? yeah, yeah, totally. And, and it's like he's the latest addition to the Wall of Fame and yeah. he's been here 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, absolutely fantastic longevity. It is, and it's nice. And it's nice to see people growing up. It's nice to see people getting the, having kids and, you know, understanding the pain and the gain that they're having in their lives. And, you know, it, it, so I wanted to keep it to 50. Yes, there's a cost implication. You know, got to, you've got to be smarter rather than have more bodies. But I write a note on everybody's payslip. Just say thank you every month. Well, actually, And if I'm it not, was more than 50, it would start oh, again. And birthdays and webmark anniversaries and notable things. Write a little card. Everybody, you know, these things are what matters, really. You know, so Susan just got her house, first house in Bicester. So it's just nice to be able to do it. And, you know, Trisha's mum and dad weren't very well in Ireland. They had a, a fire. And so just sending flowers over and sort of like, just makes a, just a difference to people's lives. And you couldn't do it. But yeah. it makes a difference that, but it makes a difference to you, right? So it's like, why would you not want to run a business where you use new people and care? Totally. Totally. What, what, what is it about? I mean, you know, you, you spend so many hours with people. You want to deal with people you like yeah. working with. You know, and it's just nice. It, it makes it an enjoyable experience. It's not a lonely journey. I'm just conscious you yeah, have yeah, a customer yeah. that. But so I've got just two more questions. Go. If you went back in time, yep. knowing what you know now, yep. what would you do differently? Employ better quality people early. I put more in the bank because I was a bit scared. Having been at companies that were always indebted, I banked quite a lot. Kept it in the business, mm-hmm. but banked it. I should have invested in quality people. I can't afford the, the finished product. It's a bit like Barnsley Football Club. We get young sprogs yeah. and then we grow. We, and I should have done more of that. And I thought, I'll get good enough people. 
Actually, that's never good there's, enough. There's, there's you, no you, such thing as good no, enough. They're, in, and they're, so they're, they're, I, keep, I, they're keeping the seat warm for the better person. If you employ them at the max of the headroom, where do they go from there? Yeah. So you need to get people with potential in, then you can grow them up or you move them into a better role for them. So, that, that, I mean, that's the biggest thing. And don't be, don't be taken in by people who have the opposite end, really expensive people who've, who've done it, who can come, there's a finished article, generally they come with more baggage and psychological problems and they've got this big I am superiority. So I've had to get rid of some really bright people because they didn't bring the team with them yeah. and become diversive. You know, they become, they're seen as greedy and, uh, you know, short-termism and whatever. So at one end, you want to over-invest early on in these people's careers. Yeah. And in many respects bring them through and not parachute in the finished product. That's my role now is not, I've tried that because I thought, you know, you get people with this talent, with this experience. I'm a working class lad from Barnsley. What do I fucking know about it? You know, so you've got these international superstars with MBAs and this, that and the other. And they come in, they go, oh, thank God for that. And they can do numbers. And actually what they come with is an awful lot of baggage and a, a, a superiority complex often and an expectation that people, you know, they're better than yeah. and, and greed. Take them out and everyone goes, oh, thank God, we're back. And we've gone through that a couple of times now, so I'm not going to do that again. I want to grow, I've always grown from within and it's much, it's more enjoyable and everybody gets on better. And the last thing is book or three books that you think everybody should read everybody in business should read you've got yeah. you've got a library you've got a bookshelf above your desk absolutely well in search of excellence back in the day is the one yeah. that i absolutely loved i've lost it somewhere i think i lent it to my mate nigel street and he never gave it back <laughs> but i mean it was a huge about yay big you know big yeah absolutely I, w- I would have to say dale carnegie's Atman, friends and influence people it's just fab- i mean 1930s book but my god it understands psychology, and it, you know, business is about understanding people. Yeah, and that, that's it. Uh, find, out what they want, find out what they want, help them get it, and you might get what you want Absolutely. as a result. Yeah. You know, and a good, good to great with the head principal on the bus. You know, yeah. so that's common parlance now, isn't it? Yeah. And some too. I love history. History to yeah. me is a, can be a little Art bit tactical. War. Yeah, tactically Machiavellian if you're not careful. I, I quite like some of the same false trails which is a benign form of kind of duplicity, but just saying, you know, you put out into the marketplace what other people think you're doing, not necessarily what you are doing. And that, that's been quite interesting to see because then it builds its own momentum. Yeah, and then I have people coming back saying, I didn't realise you'd... And I'm like, well, actually, I said it was that. You know, everybody embellishes, don't they? Yeah. So when it, by the time it gets back, you've done the most amazing thing ever. And I'm just saying, well, actually, no, I'm, I know what, I'm going this way because I wasn't sure about that person. But you only say one thing to one person, then you test them. Snakes and ladders, isn't it? Yeah. You just make sure that see whether they what they are, and if it comes back like that, then you know you you won't be sharing in most secrets <laughs> again. So those are kind of three. Brilliant, Simon. Thank you very much My indeed. Pleasure. That's brilliant. And if anybody wants to come, oh to yeah, the sorry, show. yes. How do we get a hold of you? So we'll put your contact details in the in the show notes. Yeah, just and, I mean, you, you had a thousand people through last year. Twelve hundred. Twelve hundred last. Twelve hundred. So if anybody wants to come and have a look around the place, don't have to see me. Just have a look around. Yeah. Just get in touch with us through the website, and uh, you're more than welcome to have a quick look around. It's an experience. It is absolutely fantastic. Lovely. Brilliant. Thanks so much. No problem. All this information and more can be found at dominicmonkhouse.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find show notes, 
additional reading and links related to this episode. You can also find my blog and the past editions of the Melting Pot newsletter. The simplest thing to do is to sign up to my subjectively, not crap, once a week newsletter, where I'll update you on what I've been up to, the most interesting articles I've read, and all things relating to scaling up, high-performing teams, net promoter score, company culture, etc. Social, you can find me on Twitter at Dom Monkhouse and LinkedIn at Dominic Monkhouse. LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me and share your questions and comments. Thanks for listening.